is the Annex of Sociology podcast. I'm Joe Cohen. I'm Leslie Hinkson. And I'm Sarah Patterson. Today, our guest is Mary Beth Stout from the University of Northern Iowa. Mary Beth recently published Girls Just Want to Have Fun Too, Complicating the Study of Femininity and Women's Leisure in Sociology Compass. Today, first round recommendation letters. Our discussion was recorded on November 12th, 2019. So, <laughs> as an early career person, one of the topics that I've been watching on Twitter is uh, senior colleagues uh, talking about whether or not letters of recommendation should be part of the first round packages for tenure track faculty jobs or just faculty jobs, um, period. Um, and so one of the things that I've seen come up is that, you know, it's a lot of service work and service work is usually invisible. I think Gabriel said this in one of the, your earlier podcasts, you know, about how service work is just not valued in the academy and, and how is it being counted. But basically just thinking about like, do people even read that, you know, or is it sort of your CV that's making or breaking you in the first round and then ask people for those letters? So just sort of service work. Um, and then what's the necessity of those letters in the first round? Mm. Yeah. So uh, having sat on quite a few hiring <laughs> committees, um, I will tell you that very often, right, people scan your CV and then they jump to the letters of recommendation, mm. right? Like, and not like, looking at like the signature line to see, okay, who's it from, right? Mm. So who's it from, right, is of great importance, right, number one. And then also number two, the person who writes your letter of recommendation ends up doing a lot of the labor that the people on the hiring committee should be allowing you to do, right, in mm. your cover letter, right? This mm. is my work, right? You know, this is, you know, what I, what I see as, you know what I mean? It's like my sort of life's work in the discipline. This is what I see as my contribution. And rather than letting you do that for yourself, they're like, okay, okay, babe, let the grownups talk. And they read the letter of recommendation hmm. to get that stamp of approval from whoever it is that wrote it. It says, this is how I interpret so-and-so's work. Right. Mm -hmm. And then and only then are you seen as, OK, fine, I will read. I will read so-and-so's cover letter. OK, I'm going to go through the CV. OK, and then now I'm going to decide whether or not I'm actually going to read one of the writing examples. Right. Yeah. You know, like this article from this journal or these this one, this introductory chapter, you know, from the book. Right. And yeah. this is part of sort of like the shortcuts that I've seen people make because no one actually wants to read every single job application that comes in. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I will say if you are on the hiring committee, you should be committed to doing <laughs> that, right? But yeah, in sociology, just like everywhere else, people like create shortcuts, right? Mm -hmm. Before they, like some people, before they, they will even commit to reading your file is they'll call somebody or text right. somebody or email somebody and say, hey, right. do you know this person? Should I bother reading their file, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it is just, it's just amazing to me. So I understand that the way in which this system operates now, I understand the labor 
that the letters of recommendation currently serve. So then my question is, if you remove those from the first round, Mm -hmm. right, what other shortcuts will people rely on so that they don't have to read all of the files? Pedigree. Do you know somebody who you can just call? Because the call's going to happen anyways, even if there's a written letter, because you want the information that people aren't willing to put into writing. Mm-hmm. Like, not saying I do that, just saying <laughs> let's be realistic. You know, I, I haven't been on any hiring committees as of late, but like, you know, let's be realistic. But uh, I just wanted to interject that. So I work at a four-year comprehensive, and the way that we approach hiring I'm sure similar to what everybody else does, but we're really looking for somebody who wants to work at this place, not somebody who just wants a job for a couple of years to move on to something else that they really wanted. So because of the resources that we have and the resources that we don't have, it's really important to know how far along someone is. Mm -hmm. And that can be communicated really nicely in a reference letter that is importantly different than a cover letter. Mm-hmm. So a cover letter is often, you know, I'm almost finished. <laughs> yep, I'm sure that you think that you are. I think that's wonderful. That's nice. And then the letters might tell a different story. And that is actually a very important part. Can you get that information in another way? Yes, sure. And that's the phone call. And that's, you know, all that other kind of stuff. So I think that the faculty that are writing the letters have are already invested in the student because mm-hmm. they are working with them. It's a year, it's a multi-year long investment. It's a lifetime investment, right? So when you're at mm-hmm. ASA and I run into one of my mentors and I have a student with me, you know, we, we have a little family talk, you know, here's, here's our ancestral path kind of thing. <laughs> and that happens, I think, regardless of, of the prestige of the place that you go to, I think that lots of mentors can bridge out of those very strict pedigree lines. And I think that's important. So for my type of school, I think the letter serves a purpose, but it does all the the negative things that we're talking about. It's, It's a service commitment. It's part of being on a committee. It's a service commitment for the people who are on the hiring committee. Can we get job applicants to write honestly about their progress? No, because it's not in their best interest. And I'm not saying that candidates are disingenuous. They're not. They really want to be finished. They do. But at my type of institution, we're not going to be able to offer them additional years to finish. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to start running the minute you start at my type of place. It's very difficult to to try to finish your dissertation and start teaching a 3-3 at the same time. It's hard. I guess one of the questions uh, I think that's come up a little bit is that you know, if you have three letters of recommendation per applicant and you get 100 applicants, I mean, I've heard of really small schools getting 150 applicants. I mean, the job market is just out of control in other ways. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, are people really reading 300 letters of recommendation, you know, and it's like thinking about valuing that labor that's going into that, and whether that's necessary for the first round, like as people get further into the process, I can definitely see how that's helpful. But yeah, that's what I was kind of curious about. Well, so I think I'd say two things, right? So number one, like your advisor, like your mentors, et cetera, your supervisor, whatever, they should have a letter of recommendation or a draft of it, like somewhere, right, already to go anyway, 
right? Mm-hmm. So that's number one. So, and, and number two, I don't know, I kind of want to push against this notion that these letters of recommendations are quote unquote service, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like students come to me and they're like, oh my God, I feel so bad asking you for a letter of recommendation, blah, blah. And I'm just like, it's part of my job, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of our job, right? Now, the fact that some of our colleagues may actually get out of that part of their job, right, is one thing. But this is, I, I, I think of it as being a part of our job, particularly if you are going to be on, you know, a graduate student's committee, right, especially if you're their advisor, and to think that, oh, God, I have to write this a recommendation. Oh, my God, it's my unpaid service. That's ridiculous, right, to think of this as not somehow bundled up right, Mm -hmm. with all of the work that you're doing with that student. And so I kind of want to push back against this notion that, you know, writing letters of recommendation, oh my God, that's a service burden. That's part of your job. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. Special thank you to Mary Beth Stolp from the University of Northern Iowa. Her recent article is, Girls Just Want to Have Fun Too, complicating the study of femininity and women's leisure in sociology compass. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter, at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Lisseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. On behalf of Leslie Hickson and Sarah Patterson, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.